0: So welcome everybody and I am really happy to introduce you to Allison Golden. Allison and I met she just in the pre-interview just reminded me that we actually met, met further back than I recalled and The thing about Allison, she is, has been over the course of her professional and personal career, a reproductive rights advocate. She's a mentor to students um, to help them reach their potential and advocate well. And she's a lecturer at Reynolds School of Journalism here at the University of Nevada, Reno. But the thing that sticks out to me about Allison and why I wanted to share her with all of you is that When she has gone through changes, transitions in work and personal, home life, all of that stuff, what really sticks out for me is that, Allison, you have this vivaciousness and indomitable spirit about you, and you also have this kind of like sassy attitude, (laughs) which I really like because I want to be like you when I grow up. I want to have more of that attitude. Did I leave anything out that you think it would be important for folks to know? No. <laughs> well, that's a, round, that's a rousing endorsement. Um, what would you add to what I say? Let's do it that way. Let's
1: do it that way. Uh, I appreciate your comments about, about change because I'm in my mid-50s, and there, you, you, no, really, no one really prepares you for each generational shift, decade shift. And you kind of talk about it, but not really. And so I've just been observant of how women really help each other through this time. And so I'm happy to talk more about and share some insights.
0: That's great, because that's actually the whole purpose of the podcast, because I realized that when we have networks, we can reach out to them. But honestly, sometimes we're dealing with things that, and we just feel isolated. So knowing that other people have walked before us or have thoughts about that, that can help us, I think is pretty powerful. Let me just ask you to share a time recently or further back where you faced a challenge and maybe it was a challenge that you chose, you know, you said, I'm going to go after something, but it could also have been something that was a challenge because it was a change that you did not anticipate or ask for. How did you navigate that?
1: Oh, there's there's been three kind of big periods of time. I was sexually assaulted when I was 16, and I uh, didn't really realize it until eight years later because that was in the 70s, and we weren't as aware of what consent was about and, you know, how to go about that. So I felt I was at fault for what happened. And of course I realized now and eight years later that I did not. Um, But I never told my parents. And so that really shaped how I was going to approach every other crisis that came into my life um, with a certain love, like, okay, let's, let's see what happened. Let's process this. Let's figure it out. And um, uh, I did that that through the the rest of the period of time where I had big change. I've been divorced twice, and that's never easy. It was always the right thing to do, but that doesn't make it easier, better. And then the most recent was with my mother passing. We were extremely close. We lived together for the last 12 years of our life, and, you know, in your head – you know that your mother's going to pass away. I mean, uh, ideally, time wise, she goes before you do, but you're never ready for that. You're just never ready for that big transition, and so it's been interesting the last four years to figure out how to navigate not having my closest confidant.
0: So, how did you do that? I can imagine being in that spot, and and actually remember being in that spot where you. you and this may or may not have been your instance but i just remember thinking oh yeah i'm just going to pick up the phone or i'm just going to share mm-hmm. this piece of info and you're just going uh huh that's not happening for me it felt surreal so how did you navigate that
1: well um the the other piece of it was i lost other other members of the family so i kind of thought i knew how grief was going to be and i wasn't expecting the ebb and flow of grief and that even now four years later I'll have an overwhelming wash of grief. So it's been uh, getting used to that and mostly all of my experiences um, have just told me to share. The way I cope is to share, to tell others, to see if If I speak up, then somebody else will tell me, oh, yeah, when I lost my mom, I had that too, or, yes, I was sexually assaulted, or, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for telling me what happened to you because now I know that um, I'm in a different place than I thought I was, or whatever it is. So, really, my best mechanism is to share with others and get power from the strength of making the... Shedding light on the problem.
0: Were you always comfortable sharing, or was that something that you had to wade into?
1: Well, it's funny because as a as a young girl, I was super shy, but um, and anybody who knows me now would would find that totally hard to believe. I was I was shy, but with around my my cohort, oh yeah, I was pretty bossy and proud of being an assertive young person. And just telling people what I thought. I'm I'm actually aptly named because Allison means teller of
0: truth. Interesting. Right? Yeah. (laughs) So I've
1: lived up to that.
0: You have lived up to that. That's great. (laughs) I'm thinking about your role with young people at the university and being a mentor and really helping them advocate. Is that a piece of information that or not information, but a strategy or an approach that you share with them about sharing and linking in other people?
1: Um, you know, I haven't actually ever articulated that. I just waited for you to ask me that question, and I kind of went, oh, well, that's really what I do. Um, I don't, I don't encourage students to do that, per se, because it depends on what they're going through, but I think by being a role model and recognizing that I have that that function, being honest with them is what they appreciate most because a lot of adults try to think, "Oh you're not ready for this information or you know it'll just get better and kind of give students platitudes and I just try to be as pragmatic as possible.
0: So what are some of the um, best tips that you give them that are pragmatic? Because I think when I think what's great about being pragmatic is we can have very generalized suggestions for folks. What does that look like? You want me to do X, but what would that actually look like if I even started doing that, right? What's the first most direct action I could take? And is that what you're talking about in terms of being pragmatic or something else?
1: Uh, it's, it's that and some more. So like um, a lot of the students, and it's not limited to the, to the female students, is today's students are, are very bright um, and very overcommitted. In parents trying to make sure they, they were exposed to all the things, the students are just try to do too many things. They have to work. They have to work full-time. They have to take full-time classes. They want to try and be involved in this, that, and the other thing. And so one thing I tell them to look at is literally look at how much time it takes you to do anything. Homework, go to work, get ready for work, blah, blah. And start counting up your hours in a day. If you need eight hours of sleep, then you've only got 16 hours left. How are you really spending that? And where in that is time for rejuvenation, time for being still, time for figuring out what your next steps are? So I tell them, go do that. And find the things on there that you're doing that are just sucking energy out of you, and let it go. Stop doing it. Give it to somebody else. Do whatever it is you have to do.
0: Are you a um, proponent of like scheduling and calendaring to be able to have those time blocks for yourself or for students, or is it more organic?
1: Uh, I encourage them to use whatever tool they need to get in the habit. So personally, for me, it's organic but once upon a time when i was when i was young oh my god i'd write down lists to make lists of things i'd accomplished so i'd feel good about what i'd gotten done so i recognized the need for creating that habit but you know after 50 some odd years of doing that i kind of know when and where and how to let go and i say this with with a full disclosure that i've overcommitted myself recently and um, have been sharing with, with friends and like uh, I've bitten off more than I can. I'm going to need help. I need to start getting rid of some pieces or not being the 100% person responsible or that I can just contribute but not be in charge. So it never ends. It's an ongoing practice.
0: It is indeed. <laughs> it is indeed. Well, it's kind of like you just get to practice at new levels.
1: Yes. So,
0: <laughs> so I think you've got that one buttoned up. Try this one. Yeah. Um, So, you start to talk a little bit about habits, you know, getting in the habit of looking at what you've committed to or your life or all of that for yourself and as you coach your students. What are some other habits that you find have helped you to be particularly successful? Or for other people that you see um, who are successful, are there habits that you see implemented regularly?
1: Um, I'm going to share something that might not necessarily feel like a habit, but it's one I want women to break, and that's apologizing. Women say I'm sorry all the time. They apologize for their mere existence or if they have an opinion or if they, you know, we've been trained to say I'm sorry and it's the first thing out of their mouth. And so um, I had a friend when I was 19 years old tell me to quit saying that and I've carried on her legacy. And it, it really makes a difference in how you feel about yourself when you're unapologetic. And so I live unapologetic. If you don't like me, I'm okay with that. When I was a kid, I read the Reader's Digest. And I don't remember the author. I'm too lazy to go look it up. But I was struck by and I've tried to live by this, this motto. Out of 100 pe- 100% of the people you're going to run into in your life. of those people are going to like you for all the wrong reasons. They're going to want to drain your energy because you are that bright star, or they're going to think they can get something from you or whatever. 25% are going to dislike you for all the wrong reasons. They think they know who you are, and they're clueless. There's just a mismatch. They... They haven't put the energy into knowing they just got turned off by one small thing on a small day. And 25% don't like you for the right reasons. They see your flaws and they don't particularly care for them. Okay. But the only people who really matter are the 25% who like you for all the right reasons. They accept you for who you are. They appreciate what you have to contribute to their life. And they like and appreciate and love you just as you are. And those are the people you worry about. You let go of 75% of everybody else. Life is far less complicated.
0: So there's a trick in learning who fits into which bucket. So you can um, release and not carry the whole load.
1: Yeah. Um, like I, I've had some friends, I call them the vampire friend. They are people who, who just like admire you and, 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 um, want to be you, which is super flattering. But if they continue to seek your advice and they don't follow it, they bitch about everything when they're, when they're sharing and you, you, you share your wisdom and then they go do the opposite and they don't listen. You're like, I don't, I don't have energy for that. I don't need to be your sounding board for how miserable your life is. I think we have to choose to be happy. Happiness doesn't come to you when you do all the right things. Every day you have to get up and decide I'm I'm no matter what crappy thing's gonna happen, I'm gonna be happy. So I have no patience for people who don't choose to do that.
0: And the whole thing about not apologizing, I recently picked that up and recently I would say within the last two to three years where I actually started hearing how often people Uh start off saying I'm sorry or even I don't know if you know notice in your email when people request you to do things or you ask them and they'll say, I'm sorry. And I'm thinking, I'm really not sorry. I'm just being specific. Right. right. <laughs> but honestly, to change the habit of saying, I'm sorry, I'm not available or whatever, it took attention and mm-hmm. energy to yeah. go, I'm not sorry at all. I'm just being specific for them and for myself. And some people I'm relieved. Oh yeah. So I'm like, going, oh, not really sorry. Kind of relieved. But, yeah, not even um, close to the sorry, frankly. Yeah. But it's nice to be sincere. <laughs> yes. Right. And it doesn't mean you have to be mean to people, but it, it, it does. It feels <laughs> like a relief to just mm-hmm. say, I'm unable to do that or unwilling, depending on the case. It's much
1: um, better to flip the switch and say, I'm really flattered you asked, but I'm not able to meet that obligation or it doesn't interest me to meet that obligation or, you know, whatever the specifics are, there's no sorry in it. You don't apologize for knowing what you can and cannot commit to.
0: And who you are. And who you are. And who you are. If you go back to a time, um, any time, you know, where you heard, and besides the Reader's Digest article, which, you know, I'm enough of a nerd. I'm going to look it up. (laughs) I am. That kind of stuff will niggle at the back of my brain going, yeah, who wrote that? That's good. So I'll do a little research. But um, if you think about a time that someone gave you good advice that just kind of stuck out and helped you go light bulb moment, is there a piece of advice that you received that has also kind of helped carry you forward
1: Um, yes you know oddly enough it came from my very shy reserved mother when I was also 16 years old again I was painfully shy I would walk through the hallways with my head down and my face almost into the top of my books and holding my books tightly to my chest and you know scurrying through the halls to like not get through to try and get through the hallway unscathed. I wasn't bullied or anything. This is just kind of how I approached the world. And I'd come home and I'd be miserable and sad and nobody likes me and my mom, who was an amazing woman in her own right, but she really didn't know how to make friends. And we found this out later, years later when she and I were living together, but I I didn't really know it at the time. And she says, well, what are you doing? And So I told her and she says, well, here's what you need to do. You need to hold your head up high put your books on your hip, create an open space and look people in the eye and say hello first with a smile on your face. I'm like, really? She said, yeah. So I did that and I think I'm one of those extroverted introverts, but I, you know, so I go home and cocoon after all this outward energy some days, but I did that and my life was, was really transformed. So the takeaway is... Look at what you are putting out there, what energy, what approach you have, and reassess if it's not working for you. What can you do that's different? It can be as small as books on your hip and looking people in the eye with a, and smile and say hello.
0: That's great. That's such a piece of wisdom. Thank right? you. And it's so simple.
1: And, and, and that's the thing. It's always simple. All of the things that we do, it's not rocket science. I don't have to be a neurosurgeon. It's not life or death, big, huge, large-scale changes. It's just one affirmation of I'm not sorry for who I am or what I have to contribute. I will be sorry if I've hurt somebody's feelings because I can be blunt. That's entirely different, right? But I'm not sorry for existing or knowing what my boundaries are.
0: So, Allison, I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. Okay. Um, I have a couple last questions I want to ask you. And one is, are you reading anything right now? No. Are you a reader?
1: I used to be. I was an avid reader. And social media has destroyed my capacity to have a long-term attention span. So, mostly what I read are articles that I find digitally. And but I haven't read a, a good book in I don't know how long.
0: And are the articles all educational kinds of articles, or are they just different?
1: Oh, it's it's all kinds of things. The benefit is is I wasn't a subscriber to the major national newspapers, but now I read articles across uh, across all kinds of platforms. I, I read conservative articles and um, more liberal articles, and from politics to finances and retirement and so I'm an article reader not a book reader
0: do you have a consolidator that you like that'll pull those for you uh
1: no I just go I just have a feed and just go look at at what interests me what's
0: interesting you in the moment
1: yeah I um I also like reading medium and um Vox and Vice because it keeps me in tune with what my students are concerned about. A lot of my students have have been contributors to those. So I I think while they don't intend to be age-specific, it also crosses that.
0: Nice. What's great, from my opinion, about what you're saying is like you're not just reading things that just affirm what you already know, but that bring in different information.
1: Yeah, I um I started being concerned about that um when I realized uh a few years ago prior to this last administration that we were starting to get in silos of information and not being able to make critical judgment. And social media has, has been both a bane for that, and, but then it can expose you to stuff It depends on whether or not you're open. But in the journalism school, we're really concerned about myopic reading and filtering to just see what affirms what you already know instead of exposing you to things you might actually learn.
0: I'd really like that you say that, especially for young folks, because that was one of the things that, one of the lessons that my father taught me when I was all excited about something I learned in school. And I think the real thing was he did not agree with the viewpoint that I came home with, Uh but he didn't share that with me. He just said he was upset that the teacher was so vehement about a personal point of view and right. he said his job is not to tell you his point of view his job is to tell you where to validate and get information about that information plus more you know I'm 16 so I'm a little put off but then I realized older it's like that was valuable information it's like just because someone says it so it may not be so look beyond that
1: yeah I had um, uh, both of my ex-husbands were in the military, and. Um, On my car was a bumper sticker that said question authority. It wasn't very popular. My husbands were encouraged to encourage me to take it off the vehicle, but it was my vehicle. (laughs) Um, And we should. We, We can't assume. And I'll tell my students, I don't have all the answers. I know a lot of them. Sometimes I'm wrong. So don't just take what I say. Prove it. Go test the theory. Go see if if that information is, is correct.
0: So, Allison, I want to thank you for your time because I think there's some great nuggets that you've shared, but I also realize some folks, I hesitate to ask you this just because of how busy you are and overcommitted you <laughs> are. Folks want to find out more about what you're doing or the school or anything. What is the best way for people either to follow you or learn from you?
1: They can... Uh, I'm really good at Twitter, um, and if I like them and I know them personally, I will let them follow me on Facebook. Otherwise, I don't. I don't share on Facebook, but I have like three thousand friends there, people I've actually met. But Twitter is is probably the most broad place that you can find me.
0: Okay, and what is your Twitter handle?
1: At Al Galden, A L G A U L D E
0: N. Perfect. I'll put that in the contact information. Yeah. And again, I just really want to thank you for your time today and that you are someone that I've known a long time and that I'm glad to count myself in amongst your 3,000. So.
1: <laughs> well, Sarah, I, I got to tell you, I've long admired you. And so when you said that you'd been watching me and, and were impressed with, with how I go, it just totally made my day.
0: Well, cool. Mutual admiration. Yeah, I love, I love that. it. <laughs> and I am actually going to go back and relook at my calendar and how I've carved out time and try and get real and put a little more in for sleep, I think so. Yeah. Sleep,
1: so, you no know, smoke, still time. Yeah. Okay.
0: Quiet reflection. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Allison. So that's it for this week's episode. If you like what you heard, please hop on over to iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. This helps us get the word out to more people just like you who want to live a no-labels, no-limits life. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.